Hello and welcome to Masters of Divinity. It is time, once again, for the fifth year in a row. And it is five years, I, I double-checked. You, you yeah, missed- Yeah, actually, I, I meant to tell you that I screwed up. I totally forgot about the year that I picked uh, Hello Nasty. Yeah, and I did Oasis. Yeah. Yeah, good year. Um, that was the year when Amy was on. Yeah, that was, that was- uh, I forgot it. Yeah, I know, that was the Amy year. Oh, man. Um, Audio Slate. Anyway, uh, uh, hey, it's time. Music Mayhem is here, and we are kicking it off with Cindy Lopper's. Uh, she's so unusual. <laughs> I'm excited for this because, you know, I've never really given Cyndi Lauper much attention, mm-hmm. even though I've always known who she is because, you know, she's like an 80s icon, essentially. Right. Um, I always thought of her as like Madonna light, mm-hmm. but that can be further from the truth. Um, definitely not true at all. They kind of came out at the same time, didn't they? I mean, they, they sort of came into prominence. Holiday, holiday and girls just want to have fun debuted within like two weeks of each other or something like that yeah and from what i've read i actually i think it was the article you sent me it said that madonna's madonna's uh uh impact was more of like a slow roll because it started like in dance clubs and then it made, it way, it right. made its way to radio while cindy lopper was like it just hit the radio like instantly mm-hmm. or something I, I mean that that's how i understood what they were saying um but it was it was a fun time. I liked listening to this album, Chuck. It was it was you know, good eighties uh, uh, goodness. So I want to know. I'm going to ask you the questions, the big music okay. mayhem questions. Why did you choose? She's so unusual. Un- right by Cindy Lauper. So I um I mentioned to you. I mean I mentioned last week when we sort of revealed that we were doing this that um, part of it was I wanted to challenge myself to finding. Um, an album by a female artist that um, that I thought we could talk about. Because, like, you know, I said I, I initially wanted to pick something from the Bengals, and it was also part of my own, like, I like to use Music Mayhem as an opportunity for me to also kind of look at things that I don't normally listen to, you know, just say, like, oh, this might be, you know, it's new to me, so it'd be fun to share it or whatever. So, like, I was thinking about, like, the Bengals, and, like, Bengals have a lot of great, like, hits, but their albums just don't really do it um i'm a lifelong fan of blondie and i tried listening all the way through like parallel lines and thinking like maybe we could do something with that but that's another one where (laughs) you know the singles but that's blondie's not really known for crafting an album it's funny you mentioned that because i listened to parallel lines thinking i might choose it for this year yeah and i wasn't feeling it i liked the singles but the rest of them just man wasn't really hitting it Right, right, and again, like you know, it, they came from that generation where it was much more about. It was definitely a more of a singles thing. I think when, you know, yeah. music goes through these phases where like albums kind of fall out of favor, and um, and I think that was just that kind of there was a, they just sort of hit that moment where you know toward the tail end of disco and the beginning of punk where albums just weren't really a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so you know so i was just listening but then i thought about cindy lopper now I'll, I'll explain a little bit um cindy lop well one of your questions is like what's my history with all of this so yeah. i don't, don't want to get ahead of myself there so i just i was listening, I, no joke I, I i was like you know girls just want to have fun is a great song like, it's a great song for years i have loved particularly there's something about the melody when she says, um, mama dear, we're not the fortunate ones. Mm-hmm. I just love the way she sang that. I just, for, I mean, for like really long time, I, like I listened to the whole song just for that bit. Yeah. Um, so I thought, you know, let's, 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 I've never listened to Cindy Lauper's album. Like I've never listened to her big debut album. And I'm thinking, you know, I've listened to a lot of these records from the eighties and the seventies that were just like landmark huge. And I thought maybe there's something here that I just didn't know. And so I put, I just, I found it on YouTube music and I put it on and I put it on loud on my headphones as I was laying down and I was blown away at the genre bending that she does. Mm-hmm. I mean, money changes everything. I, I heard, I was just like, wow, okay, so this, there's elements of this where it's like almost like a Springsteen song, but it's very synth heavy. So it's got the 80s synth heavy stuff. But there's a harmonica in the middle of it, which was unexpected. Just those, sort of those blending of sounds. Yeah. Just, you know, I just didn't expect it. And I realized, like, well, it, it sort of fits the eclectic nature of, of who Cindy Lauper is. And so, and then it really did it for me was to think, okay, this came out in 1983. Yeah. So, I mean, think about what was going on, right? I mean, you've got Disco's dead, right? Disco died like 79. Right. Um, punk you know, punk is making its appearance. Punk is also starting to morph into new wave. Um, I'm trying to think, did, um, had joy, Divi- joy divisions done by this point, right? Like, I um, think so. I, I, yeah, they're getting ready to give birth to new order. Yeah. So the, the, but the music that was around, there wasn't anything like other than like the B 52s, which they had even, they were weird. Right. And they hadn't yet, they hadn't yet morphed into being their sort of house party, sound that they were you know their first b52 self-titled is just it's so weird um and they you know and they come from the same southern gothic heritage as rem because they're both from athens and so like though they give sort of like a ray gun you know atomic era sheen to what they're doing there's still like a darkness to what the b52s are um and and so like music is just sort of dark and serious you know, for the most part, even pop, like what's on the radio is sort of, and it's just this weird in between place. Yeah, I know Flashdance was the big movie at the time. And so like, there's that song maniac that was hitting a charts around this time. Well, and then, um, and then, um, well, of course, um, um, the song from the end, right. Um, not more than a feeling. What is it? It's, um, I don't know. I forgot. Oh, what a feeling. There we go. What yeah. a feeling. Yeah, so yeah. that, I mean, yeah, so that, that probably really helped bring like really big synth sounds mm-hmm. into pop culture, but right. You know, like synthesizers were happening in new wave, which, you know, was very, you know, was still in the Gothic subgenre. you know, the cure are around and they're, they're doing stuff with it, but again, it's dark, right? It's joy division. It's, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as, and, I, and I read one review that I think put it really pretty, pretty great was that it was so early in the 80s that the 80s as the 80s had yet to happen. Right. Reagan's president. But, you know, it's usually not until a couple of years into a decade that a particular sound emerges. Right. I mean, if you mm-hmm. for example, 
you know, I was born in 82 and I think I was around the same year that the Cosby show first premiered. Right. And if you right. watch like the opening credits of the Cosby, it still looks like the seventies. Right. Um, one thing I, so, I will, I would like to note real quick is I think this was only two years after MTV had started. Right. right. And even though it was I, my research, even though it was only two years after MTV had started, they had already started doing the video music awards and that was already like a big thing. I was really surprised right. by that. It's like MTV, MTV success must have been just like overnight. Oh, totally. Yeah. Their success and their influence just conquered the yeah, world in two years. And, I, and it's funny watching early MTV because they didn't know what a music video could be. Yeah, I know. You can see it in her music videos. <laughs> yeah. Like they're like, you can tell, like, we don't know what we're doing. I think you just stand there and sing. <laughs> well, but, but hers are a little more different because they actually have like stories and characters and things going on. Whereas yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of like, Elvis Costello's Pump It Up, which is uh. <laughs> them playing, you know, they're just playing in a white room. Right, yeah. Right? So, um, what you're saying. yeah, or like um, Dire Straits is Money for Nothing, right? It's just oh, them yeah. playing on a, it's just them doing a live version of the show with just like pastels and neons and, and the... some of the first CGI ever employed. Right, exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> the Weird Al Yankovic parody of that video is fantastic. Oh, it's so good. Beverly Hillbillies, man. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, so just the idea of like, so I picked it because I'm just trying to imagine all this is going on, right? It's like the way that I felt when I learned that B-52's first album came out in what, like 78? I just like did not expect that something so weird could come out of Athens, Georgia yeah. at that time. So listening to She's So Unusual, it's like, this, this was like a, this was, this was like a bomb, man. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it gave the 80s its sound. And it, and on top of that, it was uh, it, it ushered in a whole new, a whole new type of female singer, yeah. young, eclectic, um, and it's you know it's sort of the audio equivalent of like Cindy Lauper herself, right? She's you know she's like the first generation of people who started shopping at thrift stores and piecing together their clothes from a whole variety of, of things, and which everyone thinks it, like Madonna started, right? No. I mean, it was going on, obviously, right? They're they're tapping into something common, um, because like when I think of Cindy Lauper, I actually think of Annie Potts' character from uh, Pretty in Pink. Okay, yeah. You know, and the '80s, of course, had this whole like thing where there was this weird sort of nostalgia for the '50s and yeah. and and all of that kind of coming back around and reinterpreted in sort of neon gloss or whatever, Atomic Age hopefulness and all that. Um, and so, like Cindy Lauper, just I mean, this album just captured all of that and all those sounds, and I just. You know, realized I've been. I knew the singles. I knew, you know, I knew time after time. I knew girls just want to have fun. I knew, um, 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 what's the other? Shebop <laughs> time. No, um, actually, never really heard Shebop until I listened to this. Oh, was it uh, all through the night? Maybe all through the night. Thank you. Sorry. Um, so I knew all those songs, um, but this was this was the first time I actually listened to the whole album, and I thought every song is good. I enjoy every moment of that song. Like, and I just, every of that album, I just put it on and I just let it play all the way through. And I've done that now probably 50 times in the past couple months. I mean, seriously, wow. like I just, I love it. I love, I love everything about it. I love her voice. I love her range. I love her talent. I love the fact that, you know, even though half the album is covers, it's her still her own unique stamp on what she's on, on it. It's just, it's just all around good. And I thought it would be a really fun album for you to listen to. Yeah. And for us to talk about. Well, I'm glad you chose it because I did have a lot of fun. Even though I don't, I don't think I I loved every song like you do. Um, I think that the 
be I think side one is probably stronger than side two. Okay, I can um, see that. But uh, still, uh, gosh, real bangers in this one. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, and the other thing too, what, what caught my attention is that to me it sounded a lot. A lot of the songs to me sounded like what, like really hip artists are just trying to do now. Mm. And is, I'm just here. Which is what? Like, well, you know, like blending, you know, oh, let's have a synth heavy song and put a harmonica in the middle of it. Or mm-hmm. let's do, let's do a, a sort of reggae, a reggae song with sort of, with sort of a punk beat, like yeah. Witness. Like, let's, you know, like, let's, and people think like, we're doing this as original. And well, she was doing this in 83. So it right. just, I mean, listening to it to me also just further makes me feel sad for the state of music these days that we're just, yeah, I know. we're not paving new ground um, all that yeah. much. Um, you know, one thing that kind of stuck out to me when you were talking about why you chose the album, you talked about the 80s and how they were very nostalgic for the 50s and kind of giving it a sort of neon gloss. I, one thing I saw, I noticed in one of the articles you sent me, they talked about her old band before she... Mm. pursued a solo career is called blue angel i think yeah and i listened to one of their songs and it's a very like 50s pastiche like rockabilly mm-hmm. type band it's not poppy at all no sense it's all just like it's just like super nostalgic for the 50s like she was right, trying, which, almost trying to do like an elvis presley kind of thing <laughs> well that's what stray cats did yeah right stray cats and if you know stray cats that's um that's um I think maybe um, i do yeah, it's Brian Setzer. It's his band. Okay. Um, um, when he when he got started and in his whole that whole rockabilly revival thing, but they yeah. were like the only successful ones to do it. Um, yeah, there was this weird thing happening in the late seventies to early eighties where people were like they were going to thrift stores. It sort of reminds me of, like what we were doing in early college, like going to thrift stores and rediscovering stuff, and almost kind of ironically, but bringing it back, right? So rockabilly, right, or um, zoot suits. Um, or like, you know, I mean, the, again, the B-52s are a great example of this. Beehive hairdos, just looking like Stepford wives, um, (laughs) you know, um, but, and then, but then using like, and like using theremin, like a theremin in your, you know, all this like, which I think I heard drive in movie stuff, which I'm pretty sure was pretty present in this album too. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I think there, I think, yeah. Cause, but like. B-52s, I don't think, really hit it big, big until, um, until, um, oh, Love Shack. Right. Okay. Like, they were known, but they weren't big, big until Love I don't know. I, get, I take it back. Um, I take it back. Um, Rock Lobster. Rock Lobster was a big song for oh, them. Okay. Okay. But, but Love Shack is what made them, like. Yeah. And they and pretty much since then they they became just sort of like a goofy house party band and they kind of abandoned all of the the weirdness the like real weirdness that made them what they were in 1979 being, you know, like a gay dude and they had a, a kind of like I want to say like Pee Wee Herman <laughs> kind of <Yeah>. aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, oh and, and that's a great example, right? Pee Wee Herman, right, yeah. is also pretty quintessentially 80s and I would say yeah. that aesthetically as of a piece with like B-52s on one side, a sort of darker version of that, and Cyndi Lauper, which is a little more, like, bright and pop-friendly version yeah. mm-hmm. of that. So, Chuck, uh, what is, like, your relationship with uh, this album, and maybe even with Cyndi Lauper and the music she's made? 
definitely more definitely more with Cindy Lauper than the album because I just listened to the album really for the first time just a few months ago. But the so <clears throat> obviously um, I am I am the child of a of a of, of a of a young energetic you know I was a child of a young energetic single woman in the eighties. So girls just want to have fun was played very loudly regularly from an early age in my car because my mother very much enjoyed that song. Um, obviously I caught, and I also spent an inordinate amount of time hanging out in thrift stores and stuff with my mom. So just that whole, I just associate all of this with those early childhood memories of driving around Orlando with my mom on the weekends. So she would like, you know, go through thrift stores and stuff, which is probably cause it's all she could afford for us as a single mom. Um, but so I was exposed to this, of course, this pastiche weirdness that was a part of the early eighties. And so um, so I associate Cindy Lauper with just that kind of those kinds of memories. But the other thing is, is that <clears throat> I'm a straight man. I want to preface this that I'm a straight man, but I do have a couple of notches in a gay card. <laughs> okay. uh, and that is, is that I've seen Cindy Lauper in concert. Nice. OK. When she opened the chair. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's two punches right there. That's oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that and you know, fried green tomatoes. So I um. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I saw Cindy Lauper in concert. She, like I said, she was the opening act for Cher for Cher's Believe tour, and um, it was oh man, what an experience! I think um, I think probably one of the probably the maybe the the first real just like real like crack in my homophobia mm-hmm. was the like five or six very muscular gay men in front of me just going nuts during <laughs> Cindy Lauper's set and then like the like genuine the genuine signs of affection they showed when she sang True Colors and was like mm. waving a rainbow flag and all this kind of stuff and like wow. deeply Baptist me it's like what the hell am I doing here <laughs> um, but um, you know she was a good show man it, she was I enjoyed her way more than Cher um, and um, she brought the house down and she was the opening act it was great it was great so, um, so I think about, I think about that a lot too. When I listen to this is like, I've seen, I've seen some of these songs, like I heard them, I watched them being performed live and I got to see the way people reacted to it and what it meant for them. And that's, that's pretty cool too. So are you ready to, you ready to get into these songs? I'm ready to get into it. Okay. So then let's, let's start with the first one. Money changes everything. First of all, I think we should mention like most of these songs are covers, right? Right. Yeah, she didn't write them. Yeah. Yeah. So, "Money Changes Everything" is is one of them. Um, who did this one originally? Because I actually don't know. This was the Brains. The Brains. Okay. Never so heard of them. <laughs> I'm not mistaken. Really? Okay. Um, or a proto-punk band. Yeah, I did. I never. I didn't seek out the originals of any of these because, like, to me, these are Cindy's songs. Um, oh, okay. Interesting. But um, um. What I what I thought about interesting about her opening, I mean, just think of, I mean, she didn't know it at the time, right? But considering that this album wound up probably, you know, being one of the definers of what we consider the '80s, right? That the first song, "Money Changes Everything," yeah. to me, that's 
that's the 80s in a sentence right and the the way she's singing it it's not so it's not like like mournful or regretful it's just like oh it's just like it's just a fact you know it's gonna change things this is it just this is happening you know don't be sad i mean (laughs) and just what and what an interesting way to open the song right like open up an album right it is is to say that you know we promised everything but there was one thing we weren't thinking of so the idea that like we're not even opening on like the fresh like for pop music right pop loves like fresh new love all the hopeful like we're going to be together forever whatever but this thing opens you know several years into a relationship yeah and she's basically saying you know like we thought we were gonna we were, we had it all together but it turns out money actually does change things money's actually kind of important yeah uh, at least that's the first verse the second verse seems to kind of negate it a little bit right that it's right. you know that that on the other side having too much money can mean that you don't have anything yeah it has a sort of working class vibe to it right mm-hmm. right the video if i'm not saying this is the one no 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 it's not the, the what's there's a one of the videos she did i want to say that it's for um, i don't think there was a video for this one right no i'm thinking of the video for all through the night right that's the one where oh there's a video for that one or time after time there's a, there's a video for girls just want to have fun uh there time is after one for time all through the night. and shabop yeah there is one for all there is one for i think they're all through the night too but it's um let's see but follows the sort of the arc of the of the story of this song, which is you you have this couple living in like an airstream trailer, and the guy's leaving. Like there's just this element to it. That That's time after like time. Been, that is time after time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, it just sort of fit to me fits with the narrative of what she's trying to say, which is kind of interesting that she merges her videos with sort of the storytelling in the album. Yeah. Um, but um. But yeah, so, I mean, money changes everything. It's a good song. Her, like you said the choruses are huge and awesome. Yeah, um, I think that's probably it, the best part of the song for me, to be honest. Like, yeah. the choruses. I like the harmonica. Okay, so the next one, the real banger here. Uh, <laughs> girls just want to have fun. Which, I mean, I don't know. Boys want to have fun, too, Cindy. Did you ever think of that? Like, Are you being one of those guys? <laughs> I, I want to say, it's, it, to me, it's one of these great songs where I think the lyrics are, like, the title and everything is really misunderstood. Because yeah. there's sort of this attitude that it's a song about, like, girls just want to be carefree. And, yeah. like, like, that's all we, 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 we just, we all, you know, we just want to have fun. Like, we want to have fun and nothing else. But that's not what she's saying in the song. What she's saying no, is, like... We, we just want to have fun. Like, don't keep us locked up. Don't keep your thumb. Like, that's it's just fun. We're not trying to do anything bad. We just want to have fun. Can yeah. We just my... have fun. Guys get to have fun. Why can't we have fun? <laughs> yeah. My favorite my favorite line is, I want to be the one who walks in the sun. Mm-hmm. I really like that line. Like, the way you, you feel about, uh, what was the line you said you liked? Your mom and dear, we're not the fortunate ones. It's, just the, I, I, it's not the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, I feel the same way about about this particular lyric because it's like like she said that that I mean that precedes when she's where she's talking about you know women get locked up and kept out of the sun. And she said, "I want to be the one that walks in the sun." Yeah, and it's 
You know, and, and it's a song you know, growing up. I hear it from, you know, I hear it in the car with my mom. I realize that it's, it carries a note of catharsis for, you know, someone like my mom is a single woman who was dealing with, you know, the stigma around being a single mother um, in the early 80s, um, early to mid 80s, you know, where I mean, <laughs> I mean, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee in 1982 when Memphis, Tennessee, when Tennessee still had laws, meaning that my mom couldn't leave the hospital with me unless I had my dad's name. So wow. she had to legally change my name later. I mean, just, you know, crazy <laughs> stuff like that. Um, so, so like you hear it from like that perspective and it's this, you know, like just want to have fun too. Right. I mean, that was my mom, you know, I know she spent a lot of time after work just blowing off steam and hanging out with her sister and, you know, stuff that I didn't know she was, was going on until I was a little older, you know, like <laughs> spent a lot of time with my grandparents, you know, overnight. Gee, I wonder why, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I was hitting up that, uh, that, that Orlando nightclub scene, <laughs> but, um, nice. sorry, mom. It's true. I know it. I know now, mom. I know. <laughs> hey, um, from what I understand, Orlando did have a banging night scene. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, so but now, but, but I will say I'm listening to it a little bit differently too now that I have a daughter and yeah. like, I don't want to be one of those guys. Like now that I have a daughter, everything's different. I'm so like serious about like all right. that. Right. But uh, you know, I do hear it a little bit differently and, um, and around the sense of like the protectionism that is often expected of dads to sort of keep your daughters locked up. You got to keep them off the pole. That's your job. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And to hear, you know, this woman just saying, look, like when the working day is done, just want to have fun. Just want to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think what's interesting about it is that I guess it was originally written for a guy to sing. Yeah. And it was supposed to be like that perspective. Like girls just want to have fun. They don't take anything seriously. Yeah. So I find that to be like a really interesting kind of cool subversion of what it was supposed to be. Yeah. Which and I, I feel think... like is sort of like her thing throughout yeah. this album is to kind of subverting a lot of expectations. I mean, there's songs in here that were definitely written for a dude. But she doesn't change the gender pronouns and stuff. Right. That, that's the next one we're going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's interesting the selection she makes in all of this. And then again, it's 1983 when she's doing this stuff. Right. You know, so like we hear girls just want to have fun and probably a lot of us roll our eyes because we're, you know, we're in a post spice world world. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. We, you know, <laughs> but like to hear to hear it, it from the perspective of like 1983, like this is a pretty radical Thing to say hey look girls just want to have fun and it's not that dissimilar really to the lyrical content of um of uh, no doubts um um spider webs oh yeah yeah that's true or um or not in the spider webs what's the one i'm thinking of um off Tragic kingdom the one that's um oh, i'm just a girl oh i'm just a girl just, oh yeah yeah yeah. I'm just a girl. It's like similar similar like, lyrical yeah. content to that right like you know yeah. you tell me it's not safe to drive at night it's not this it's not that right like that anthem of just saying like oh because you're a girl here are the things you can't do do you think that the fight scene in captain marvel would have been better if they didn't played it i'm just a girl and instead played girls just want to have fun hmm. listen well we can circle back to that we can put a pin in that it would have been it would have been far less on the nose <laughs> maybe yeah, Maybe. but yeah. Uh, also, uh, the inspiration for the uh, famous Weird Al hit, uh, "Girls Just Want to Have Lunch." Is it really a Weird Al song? Yeah, I know that. You never heard that one? Uh, anything else you want to say about "Girls Just Want to Have Fun"? Except uh, anything? I don't know. Besides, music like, video is great. Music, music video is great. great. And, like, and I, I want to say, like, I love watching these old music videos, mm-hmm. especially if the songs are good, because they still, like I said. They don't really know what a music video is yet. 
and she's just kind of like walking around sets, singing the song in like a single take. There's no cutting. Yeah. There's no dancing. She's yeah, just she like does that little like thing. Where she's got like her tutu. She swirls. It does like a sort of step back, step forward on the seat on the street. Yeah, and then she uh, who's the wrestler that shows up in all of her videos? It's, uh, um, Captain 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 Ron something, right? Or is it Captain? Or is it Captain? Captain I forgot. I don't know. We we have wrestler fans who listen, so they'll probably let us know. Yeah. Well, I believe, and, and, and I believe they just called him the captain, right? Is that what they call? It? I don't well, know. and he. Uh, the thing that's interesting is she she got she incorporates a lot of wrestlers in her videos over time, yeah. and then she actually wound up like showing up at WWF events. Nice. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce to you the female entertainer of the year, Miss Cindy Lauper herself. <laughs> Where have you been? What have you been doing? Oh, well, I'm glad to come back. I've been in Europe. It's nice to see all the wrestling fans and the WWE tips. How you doing? Cindy, tell all these people out here how I took you, Cindy, and found you in New York City and Queens, and how I made you a superstar. It's just so weird. What's kind of fun is it, it, it didn't seem like intentional weird. Yeah. Like it feels like authentic weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it makes sense because I wasn't the eighties when was when wrestling was like, really popular like yeah, it kind of came together because, because the wwf is when it kind of came together for the first mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. and well, then, it was wrestlemania so, and then yeah. wrestlemania you know hulk hogan was at the height of his powers everybody had early onset hulkamania <laughs> yeah. so i mean it was kind of i mean it makes sense that she would i mean it's it's kind of like mtv in a way right like mtv and mm-hmm. wrestling is kind of two big 80s staples but yeah the the music video uh What's his face shows up like she she puts him in a hold and stuff. I thought that was kind of mm-hmm. funny. Uh, but again, like the way it's these videos are, are cut and edited, and there are parts where they're just like singing a song together in unison. It's like you can tell they're just like we don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> like we kind of had to make it all up as we go. Yeah, uh, because they're not musicals, right? I don't well, know. And, it, and there's like a whole animated think- sequence. Well, kind of like makes me think something you you messaged to me the other day when you instead of watching the Oscars you decided to watch the the Burton Schumacher Batman films <laughs> and yeah. you and you were talking about the 1989 Batman and how you're like I love this because they don't know what a superhero film is supposed to be yet. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, when you were mine. So good. I've been listening to this song nonstop since I started listening to this album. Hey, wait, 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 wait. We weren't just talking about favorites yet. We weren't supposed to right. tip our hat yet. I know, I know, I know, I know. But I'm just going to say I just, I really love it. And I think that she does, even though this is a Prince song, she does a really great job of making it her own. Mm-hmm. And the synths are really cool, too. I really uh, love it. And just them. the way, and the way she, the way she yells, I love you, baby. Yes. Um, Oh, just the way she does, especially like in the second or third chorus, right? Before she does the like, ah. Yeah, uh, you can really feel the passion in her voice in this song. Yeah, I love you, baby. It really means something Just the way she delivers it. Yeah, you feel that emotion. Yeah, there's a lot of emotion, a lot of energy in it. Um, 
I listened it's to. Also, yeah, oh, go, go ahead. I was going to say I listened to the original Prince song, and I thought it was good. Um, but I just, I just, I love that. I love how she, I love how she owns it in this one. Well, and I love too that she didn't change the gender of the singer. Yeah, that was and interesting. So it, it, in, you know, you can interpret it so many different ways, right? Like right. either it's like a, like a, she's with a girl and it's a bisexual, or it's, you know, like it's a dude yeah. that is cheating on her with another dude. It, it like it normalizes it, you know. Yeah, and you don't know if and you're again, doing it because she just wants to do it as a, like a tribute to Prince. She doesn't want to change what he did, or uh, she just wants to put that out there. I don't know. I think that, but I think that's cool. I think that's an interesting choice. It's it's one of those very small choices that makes a huge difference. Right. Well, well, it's kind of like um, you know, um, like Janis Joplin's ver- you know version of Bob, "Me and Bobby McGee," which is originally a Chris Christopherson song. Right. Um, and. Um, the fact that you know she changed she changed the gender of that song you know so bobby becomes a, a man rather than a woman which you know it, it it's a gender flop and it and it you know makes a big difference in how you interpret and deal with the song and actually caused me a little bit of confusion back in the day when i listened to the original version of it it's like wait hold up yeah. <laughs> um but um but yeah to not do, to not change the gender it's sort of similar to what um Jack White did when White Stripes covered Jolene. He decided not to change the gender when they covered Jolene, hmm. um, because he felt, you know, it, it, you know, when he just wanted to, you know, what does it sound like when a man sings the song right. as is rather than a, a female voice? And you know, like you said, just 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 the, just changing the gender of the person singing affects the meaning of the song in pretty profound ways. Yeah, like uh, was it? Uh, Sixpence None the Richer who didn't change uh, There She Goes. Yeah. Right. He did she didn't change it to There He Goes. Yeah. Well you know you know you know about Sixpence, right? How they, they cause like a really hasty rewrite of the Dove Awards rules. The the what? So the Dove Awards, right? Which is the Christian recording industries like their version of the Grammys. So they go oh, okay. Dove Okay. All right. So uh, Sixpence None the Richer was like up for like Song of the Year or something for either Kiss Me or There She Goes, or whatever. Because like the idea was because it's all based off of sales. Mm-hmm. And so like they had monster success, Sixpence did with, you know, having those, song, those songs in, in those movies. So um, they like the day of like the day of the, the Dove Awards um, that year, they had to rewrite the rules really quick. To say that a artist cannot win a Dove Award unless the lyrics are like express explicitly for the purpose of like proclaiming the Lord Jesus or something. Weird. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah, uh, uh, such a good song. I've never I've never listened to the Prince version. Um, it's pretty good. I don't think it's like it's not like peak Prince. Right. You know. It's um, it's fascinating how you can listen to a, a song written by Prince and know that it was Prince, right. even if he's not performing it, right? Like, yeah. like the first time I ever heard Blue Monday, I was like, oh yeah, Prince wrote this. Um, and uh, or sorry, yeah, Manic Monday, I meant. Um, and um, hmm. um, or like when you listen to um, like Nothing Compares to You, you're like, yeah, Prince, I can see Prince wrote that. Um, you know, but these are songs that are known by you know for being performed by other artists, right. so. Um, 
but yeah, like you can listen to it and you can like, I can hear Prince singing this song. Like I can. Oh, totally. Yeah. I could, I, the part where, where he's, where the, the, whoever, whoever the singer is saying, I let you fool around and, and I didn't care. I could yeah. see Prince like for Prince. That's like, uh, that's, I mean, yeah, he, he, he doesn't care. He, he would do that. Yeah. But, but for Prince Cindy Lauper to do it, I'd be like, Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. But Prince doesn't have the vocal range. No. Like, you know, like, like Prince is a great scream, but yeah. like he can't hit those. I mean, my lord, Cindy Lauper hit some notes. I know, dude. Yeah, totally. I mean, she. I mean, she really hit some high notes in these songs. That might be why I like it more it than than Prince, because Prince he does it his a little bit more subdued, and you know, she's really kind of like feeling the lyrics. You can tell. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably why I like it more. There's just so much more, more passion, you know. Um, okay, so let's move on to the next uh, legendary banger here. The first, the first Cindy Lauper song on the album. Um, wait, really? I thought yeah. that was "Money Changes Everything." No, she didn't write that. Remember, the brains wrote that. Oh, that's right. You, you mean the one that she wrote? Okay, yeah. yeah. Time after time. If you're lost, you can look and you will find me. Time after time. If you fall, I will get you. title inspired by the 1979 movie of the same name time after time which is about hg wells who invents a time machine and it is stolen by jack the ripper and taken to the 70s and hg wells uh goes after him and it is incredible it's a great movie please seek it out it is so good great little thriller horror sci-fi weirdo movie do you know so do you know this did you read the story behind this song a little bit. Uh, I, I I use that site uh, Genius Lyrics, where that kind of gives you like some notes about each oh, song gotcha. that you read up. So like they 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 did they they talk a little bit about um, you know the history about about how like it was supposed to be the first single, but she didn't want to be recognized as a ballad a balladeer. Yeah, because you get smart move on her part. Yeah. Um, I will. I mean, I think that I mean she was smart. She knew that girls just want to have fun was like going to be huge. Totally. Um, but yeah, time after time. So the, the, the thing is, is that the record company told her, it's like, I don't know that a nine song album's enough. You need one more. Mm-hmm. And so her and her um, writing partner, I guess it was also her boyfriend at the time, um, they they were just like, oh, crud. So they, they just sort of they just sort of like cranked this out. You know? I did, I did just, see that kind of like it, it reminded me of um, when um, um, Stevie Nicks did Dreams. Yeah. And then out comes like <laughs> one of the most legendary songs. <laughs> yeah. They just do it in a rush. Like, uh, I think I'll have to sing about this. And then, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, oh, was it the, the, the guy who did the, com- the, did the composing for um, The Legend of Zelda? I don't know if you know the story about The Legend of Zelda's iconic theme. No. How no. they were going to use a, a piece of classical music, but it was in the public domain in the United States, but it wasn't in the public domain in Japan. And so, like, the last, like, the day that they had to, like, start producing the game. The composer was like, uh, I can't use the music that we were going to use. And so he made up. Like he just made that up. Wow. And just like on the fly. And, you know, it's such an such iconic music. Um, huh. But um, but yeah, this is like what her biggest hit. Oh, yeah. um, her most enduring hit. People say probably the best piece of music she's ever made. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Um, and it was. A rush job. It's fantastic. I love it. I love those stories. I do too. Um, and I like that it didn't pigeonhole her. 
mm-hmm. and that you know she had an idea of what her, her what her image is going to be, and it was not going to be held down by like doing sad music. <laughs> and here's something about this song I want to share. Yeah, it features in the soundtrack to Napoleon Dynamite. Yes, uh, a cover of it by a band called Sparkle Motion, which of course takes their name from the band in uh, in uh, Donnie Darko. Um, but it's during the prom scene, if I'm not mistaken, that this song plays. Mm-hmm. And when you and me and a certain roommate that we don't talk about uh, went to see Napoleon Dynamite, yeah. um, I was singing this song. And uh, our, our the Voldemort of whom we speak, uh, <laughs> was uh, he made relentless fun of me for yeah. knowing the song. He was like... You know Cindy Lauper's song. Who's wrong with you? He's like, are you gay? Are you like all this kind of stuff? And you know what? I take it as a point of pride. <laughs> I take it as a point of pride that that metalhead would make fun of me for knowing Cindy Lauper's music. Yeah, well, he had terrible taste in music, and we all know that. Um, uh, but I, I agree. I, I remember, like, you know, this this is one of those for the songs. Record, it's not Keelan. People who listen, no, 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 not not Keelan. Not Keelan. No, no, no. People think we're about Keelan here. Nor is it Matt. <laughs> Should probably make right. that clear. <laughs> um, I will say this song. This is one of the songs that, like, I feel like I've always known. Mm-hmm. Because when we saw that movie Napoleon Dynamite, like, I felt like I could sing along to it, mm-hmm. even though I didn't. Um, but like in my brain, I'm like, yeah, I recognize this song very much, even though like I'm not like singing it. Um, but I really like the Sparkle Motion cover, by the way. Like, I really, really like that cover. Yeah, it was it. good. This is a great song. I don't know. Like, this is one of those things where it's like, I don't know how, if I can do the song justice by talking about it. I, I think the video is very poignant, even though it is it is still one of those music videos where they don't know what they're doing. Here's, here's the thing. I should point something out real quick. When I say, like, they they didn't know what they were doing, there is a certain formula to making music videos now that everyone kind of adheres to. And there, Well, there's a few of them. But one of the main ones is just, like, you have the band perform, and then you film, like, some kind of coverage. And that coverage is, like, edited back and forth between the performance and the coverage or whatever. Sometimes the coverage is a story. Sometimes it's, like, weird images. Whatever. Or the band is just, like, performing it themselves, like a musical or whatever. Right. Or it's, really... like, the 90s where you just stick, you know, you, you stick a punk band in, like, an abandoned house with a single light bulb swinging over their heads and they sing, exactly. you know. You yeah. Know. yeah. Sure. So, and sometimes there's, there's high concept music videos, like Thriller. Um, but... Back then, like they didn't know this whole concept of of, of coverage was not really a a thing. Uh, so you just like it, they were almost kind of like mini musicals in a way, but like they didn't know how to shoot musicals because they didn't have dancers. So it's like okay, just sing the song and we'll tell the story as you're singing it. And it, it's it's kind of strange, but it's also I think I think it works to their advantage in this one because it is a story. Yeah, 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 um, and it. It's uh, the other thing I think interesting lyrically about this song is it's there's a pining quality to it. But if I as I understand the lyrics of the song, it's more about it's more about the woman, the female, you know, the, the in the song, right, who's singing or right? you're assuming that the, the protagonist of the song is a female mm-hmm. um, that it's about how her life is carrying her to new places and the dude can't keep up. Yeah. Which is a very different, you know, that's something that like would have been really, really rare, I think, Mm -hmm. 
in its time, right? Because so many of these pop songs about, you know, about love and, and all that, it's all about like, I'm going to pine after him because he's gone off to somewhere and I wish he would come back to me, right? That's a very 50s kind of thing. Um, or it's, you know, it's nostalgia. I miss her, you know, like Bobby McGee going back to that song, right? It's all about how I lost this woman that used to travel around with me and I regret it. Right. Um, but this song is basically about like, he can't keep up with me. Yeah, or and, just like, and, but the, I'll be here for you when I'll be here for you when the time comes, kind of thing. Yeah, like just someone whose complexities don't quite allow them to be in that sort of stable environment right. of a relationship, right? You know, um, but because right, I think it's the, I think it's him, right? It's the it's the you know the him the 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 the, the sort well, of in the video to him. Yeah, okay, but yeah, so he's the one who's basically saying, like, you know, like, I'll be here, yeah, you know, like, I'll be the one who's here when you fall, I'll be the one here to catch you. Right, because in the video, she it's certainly framed as, like... Yeah, right, yeah, she, right. he's saying that about her, which I just, I feel like that's a slightly, you know, different angle for these kinds of stories, especially, you know, considering the time period that it came out. Right, yeah, and it, and it ends on a pretty sad note, you know, even the video, it ends with them parting ways, and she's... Mm -hmm. He's staying at the. It's, it's it's so funny. He's he's left at the train station. Yeah. And she's in the train, and she you know single tear. Yep. Which is which was real apparently. Well, I, I think her and her boyfriend at the time, who was also like one of her songwriting partners, were in the process of I think breaking it was like her up. Manager, wasn't it? Her manager. Yeah, they were, but they were also romantically in, involved, and they yeah. were. Their relationship was ending, if I'm not mistaken, during the writing of this song. Cause it was like, again, it's like the last track for the album. Right. Um, and, um, yeah. Yeah. And then the video is interesting. Cause, uh, apparently the woman who plays her mom is actually her real mom. Mm -hmm. And she said she, that was like her idea because she wanted it to be a sort of like, uh, like a memory. She wanted the video itself to be like, uh, like a memory book or something that she could look back on and see like, this is exactly how I was feeling what I was going through. Yeah, having people from her real life inside the video sort of like made that real, which I thought that was that was that's an interesting interesting thing to do. Well, and and that and that reflects you know this interesting thing happening with the with as musicians are looking at the reality of MTV at the time and what the, and the visual aspect of music and the relationship between that right because yeah. you know there was no longer. It was less about your, vid your 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 song being on the radio. It was about it being on on video, and so the blurring of those two things together. Right? Devo famously um, would not did not release albums when they first started. They only released videos, hmm. like cassettes, because they thought that we were no longer going to like it was going to be. It wasn't going to be about listening. It was going to be about the whole audiovisual experience. And so Devo really doubled down on that as thinking that they were they were embracing this new technology in a way that, you know, they had, they always forget that people, you know, right. don't adapt that way. Right. Like that would actually work better now, I think. Um, but, but again, it shows that, that, that where people were creatively in the early eighties with this new format and what they thought it would do. And so the fact that now you have these blurring, you know, you're, you can't really like, like at this point, like we, you know, we can talk about rumors without talking about videos or anything for rumors. You know, yeah. we can talk a little bit about like Graceland, you know, like the video for the video for call me Al is a great video, right? Because Chevy chase and all that. But, mm -hmm. um, but like it doesn't, it, it feels like the album and the videos are, are separate entities in a lot of ways. But like, I think it's like one of the first albums that we've talked about where the videos are like a necessary 
companion to the album like you can't and that's just that's a very narrow period of time in music history that we can do this mm-hmm. um because like, we can also talk about like, like I mean, we talk about intergalactic and the great video that came with intergalactic and all that but that like that was where the, the music... nirvana videos yeah but like but they were all like that, that by that point we sort of knew what a music video was yeah. and they were sort of their own separate entity we understood you watch the video as a separate experience than listening to the album but this is this weird time where they thought that both were the same thing but yeah time of time is such a good song i mean really such a good song i i, I would i would call this a pretty good uh karaoke song if you want to kind of bring yeah. the mood yeah. down a little you know want to slow it down a yeah. bit you know yeah uh if you this perfect song to sing at a wedding i think Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll you'll be the star if if that wedding's got karaoke. Mm-hmm. Sing time after time. Oh yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to, if you want to completely completely change the mood for the wedding, you sing the next song, <laughs> which is <laughs> she bop, which is a bop. Okay. This is one where when I, okay, well, I was gonna say when I when I heard She Bop for the first time yeah. uh, recently because again I knew of this song but I never really know that I ever heard it heard it but there's something about the chord progression and melody of the chorus that makes me think of Franz Ferdinand from like 2004 2005 yeah. and that's when I started thinking about this album as like oh my gosh like all these like trendy bands have kind of been ripping off the sound of the 80s <laughs> and the 70s for so long that right, right. nothing's original anymore but anyway um, She Bop one of the filthy 15. Which is, what is the Filthy 15, Chuck? The Filthy 15 is the 15 songs put together by the, what was it, the Parents was it the Music Research Council or something like that? Parents Music the, Resource Center. Resource Center, that's it. Headed um, up by Tippy Tipper. Hedren. No, t- 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 Tippy Tipper, Hedren. <laughs> Tipper Gore. <laughs> um this was uh, this was a, a, a you know this was the, the beginnings of when people were getting really upset with uh, lyrical content in music and they were starting to think about the children. Who's going to think about the children? Oh, yeah. And so they felt that this was it was imperative for there to be some form of parental like rating system akin to what the Motion Picture Association of America had um, put together. And so they created this council, but they're but they're their sort of case like to present why they needed this was they created a list of 15 songs they called the 50 the filthy 15 um some of them obviously right like there's a wasp song on the list that like has the f word as its title yeah. darlin nikki off of the uh <laughs> off of the purple rain soundtrack that is a filthy song yeah it's actually the one that song is why i have not picked purple rain for music mayhem because i just i feel uncomfortable um um but um you know but like shape up yeah come on (laughs) yeah it's implied what's going on there but like cindy lopper by the way has never actually said what Shebop is actually about. She's really? always been a little bit caged. Oh yeah, she's she's playing the game. She's playing the really long version of the game. Well, you know what's funny is like I in my little little bit of research I did, she apparently she had told Howard Stern that she recorded it in the nude. 
And yeah, part of me is being, like, huh? While being tickled. And part of me is like, she was probably just like messing with him. Like, maybe. I, I feel like whatever, I feel like she's just always going to be really vague about the whole thing. But if you listen, and, I, I will say though, when you listen to the song though, there's moments where she's laughing and stuff and they don't seem rehearsed. It seems like something going on. <laughs> really? I didn't so know that. So it makes me wonder if she maybe, you know, really did, but. That's funny. Huh. But I yeah, know. I think I think it's probably more a little bit like probably half dozen to one six of the other, right? Making you know just to get a rise out of Howard Stern, but yeah, I I feel like that's how most people try probably treat those interviews. Um, but to uh, an ode to self love, this song, yeah, <laughs> it is. But I mean, and it's it's not like um, I don't know, it's it's not like like explicit, and it's not. I mean, for 1983, it was. I feel like it's something that you could probably, like, play for your kid to make them feel like, oh, this is normal. Because it's almost more like this is a normal thing people do. Kind of I song. guess, yeah. I mean, the fact that, the fact that like, the first opening line reference is a fairly explicit and now defunct um, gay porn magazine, Blue Boy magazine. I don't know it was kind about of that. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> okay. the video, in the video of this song, which I did not watch the video. The video this, is weird. It's very strange. They, uh, they show a different magazine that they made up that doesn't, it's not Blue Boy, because Blue Boy is like an act, was an actual, yeah, actual magazine. Um, the video is weird because it's like, she's at this, um, I guess it's like kind of drive-in burger joint, but it's called Clone Burger. And all these people are like marching into the restaurant and they're marching out with their burgers. And she's just kind of like throwing a wrench into the whole thing. And then her parents show up. One of them, of course, played by that wrestler again. Uh, and then she like goes to jail and there's like a whole animated sequence. Uh, it's, it's, it's weird. I mean, to be fair, right, this was one of the singles that the record company pulled out. How do you make a video of this that's going to play on MTV? <laughs> yeah, that's but then, I don't know. They figured out. They figured it out a few years later when um, Divinals, I Touch Myself. Oh, yeah. Which that to me is a way more explicit song yeah, than is. this. Very much. I mean, yeah. quite obviously the title. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, I don't know. It's seriously. I think it's a good song. I think it's cool. But I do think it's it's a little more aged than the other hits on here. Like it feels a little bit more of its time. Like not like I could see this maybe being like a, I don't know, like playing this at like a, like a club or something, but not like, I don't know. I do think that it, I think that I, 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 in case of a lot of her songs, I think the chorus is really strong. Yeah. Um, There's just something about the chorus. It's really good and really catchy that I think, elevates it to something else right um i think it's just the verses maybe that, that yeah. i feel like are the kind of the kind of ages it's somewhat yeah and they have that, that sort of darker low-end synth sound which was really common at the time and right um yeah it, it doesn't have really much stand out but there's some of the chorus though that i think that think does it but um right but yeah, I mean it. it, it but it is, it is part of history. The reason that we have parental advisory logos on CDs, is which due was to this such a such a backfire, by the way, because like it kind of became like the cultural norm for like our generation. Like if it had that symbol on it, oh, you you, you got to get it, right? <laughs> like because the symbol itself was actually kind of cool too. Well, like, wasn't there at least one hip hop artist where like the cover of their album was just the parental advisory logo? I don't know, maybe. I don't know about um, that. Yeah, because it definitely became a badge of honor. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's not like you know the rated R or like the MPAA ratings, which has which you know very subtle. But like mm-hmm. this one, it's like they thought like plastering it on the album like deter people. I guess I don't know, but uh, it just kind of made the album cooler. <laughs> right, they made, made it taboo. Right now, the kid. Yeah, I mean, I remember going to the the music store at West Oaks Mall and just you know because I went through that period of time where I wasn't allowed to buy you know really I wasn't supposed to buy like non Christian music, but there was no way I could ever get like. You were lucky if what I loved is when they had it as like the sticker that was on the cellophane wrapper, right? So they didn't have to mm-hmm. stick the parental advisory like actually on the album artwork itself. Right. Because once you opened the CD, nobody could tell. But when they started actually printing it on the little like floppy booklet, that's when I was like, oh man, like there's no way to hide this from my mom yeah. if I were to buy this. <laughs> <laughs> that's when you get the Sharpie and you just. All right. So the next one is All Through the Night. We Um, the other ballad. It is the other ballad. Not nearly as good as time after time. Um, yep. still pretty good. I don't know. I, I I find it kind of straining a little, like the the chorus to be a little straining. Um, I don't know. I, I'm interested in your thoughts because I wasn't like super impressed by it. See, I love this song. Okay. Um, I I, I but I well I will say of the two ballads, it's the weaker of the two. Yeah. And I and I will say when I've been listening to the album, it's the one that I've been most like willing to skip over. Hmm. Okay. Um, partly because when I'm when I listen to the when I put the record on, if I leave from my office, by the time I get home, I've usually gotten to like I'll kiss you. Okay. And so I you know so I'm like I want to listen to yeah yeah so I'm like well I got to skip one I'll skip all through the night. Um, but um. But I, I I like the chorus a lot. I like the um, I like the kind of um, almost reggae ish, you know, um, synth sound during the chorus. Okay. Um, yeah. And um, um, it does have a cool like kind of synthy like um, jingle at the beginning that I yeah. think is really cool. I kind of plays throughout. Yeah. Yeah. And um, um, yeah. I mean, there's just I like the chorus a lot. Um, but um. But yeah, like I said, if, of the two ballads, it's definitely the weaker of the two. I think. I think "Time After Time" is definitely the the keeper, um, and it doesn't help that, as, I, as you already saw in this episode, that because the video opens with Cindy Lauper staying up all night, you know, looking at a TV in the beginning of the "Time After Time" video, that I confuse it with "All Through the Night." Oh, uh, because it. Does it open with all through the night and the? Uh... No, 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 no. She's. Uh, it's just like she's. It's just the, the the visual oh, of her, right. oh, her yeah. like being up all night. Gotcha. You know, makes me think of you know all through the night. Um, but yeah, like it's. I mean, it's good. It's a good song. If it didn't, it would be stronger if time after time weren't on this album. I think. That's probably um, true. And the thing is, the Cindy Lauper is actually a pretty good ballad writer because um, True Colors is a fantastic song. Yeah. Um. It's interesting. We'll probably talk about this a little bit more later, but like, it is interesting to me that as strong as every song is on this album, she never had something quite like this again. Hmm. Um, but you know, she is a fine, she's a fine songwriter. It, it, it's, there's evidence of that, but yeah. Um, 
you know, it's a song I enjoy, like when it's on, like whenever, like I, I, cause I've had all through the night for a while just as a single on my music. And so like whenever I have my music on random and it plays, like I'm always like, you know, I get my head Bob going, right. I enjoy <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. I enjoy it. I have some memories with it, but, um, it's, you know, it definitely, definitely not as strong as some of the other songs on the album. I think this could be another good karaoke song, probably. All through the night? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah totally. All right, yeah. Witness. And you change somehow. I am what you need to get Yeah, I didn't, um, I don't know, I didn't love this one. Yeah, I dig Witness, I dig we're, it because we're, of the reggae. I, I hate yeah. to say it, because we're, we're getting into territory where I'm, like, not super impressed with it, with the rest of the stuff I'm, I'm hearing. Yeah. Um, Witness is kind of definitely one where I'm just like, I don't know, every time I listen to, I listen to, I listen to this album to uh, more than a few times, that's what I do with every music mayhem, I have a process for each time I listen to it. Mm-hmm. But each time I play, listen to it, like, this one I'm just kind of like kind of waiting for it to end i guess um, yeah this is a, this is one of the songs that uh lately has been stuck in my head when i'm surfing oh yeah i don't really? <laughs> I, like but i'm like i just there's a thing that happens uh, with surfers where you get random songs stuck in your head yeah. um i want it that way it was stuck in my head for years as a surfer <laughs> um so weird. the uh but this is one like i for some reason it gets stuck in my head um um I don't want to be a witness. And in my head, my joke that I've been trying to work on about this song is that this, that she wrote it after like Prince tried to make her Jehovah's witness or something. I don't know. <laughs> Cause like, I'm still trying to figure out what the song's about. Like, I don't want to be a witness. It's like, this was, yeah. this is her traumatic experience after watching the Harrison Ford vehicle. Um, <laughs> nice. I don't know. With witness, I was hanging out with somebody and they were standing on the edge and in New York city, People drive, you know, especially cab drivers. I used to always think that cab driving must have been like a game. Like everybody you hit is another 10 points, you know, stands off the curb. So it'd be like, <laughs> my friend was off the curb. I was like, hey, you want to stand on the curb? I don't want to be a witness, okay? Because I was like, I don't feel like I can watch that today, you know. And I thought to myself, I don't want to be a witness. So... That's how it started. I went upstairs and started on my guitar. It's a song that like I enjoy the I really like I like the reggae sound to it. And I just thought that was really cool that you know she was pulling that sound in with you know again for the synthy element to it, which you know wasn't all that common for pop music at that time. Right. Um, and I feel like the sound of it was basically what no doubt was going to wind up ripping off mm-hmm. years later. I can see that. Um, that ska ska reggae sound um and um but like lyrically i the song is okay i mean i think it's i think it's a fun song but it's definitely it definitely feels more like album filler yeah i don't know and maybe the whole like ska reggae aspect to it is like probably why i didn't know that because that's not really my thing is it is it is it is it bringing up some painful memories jp of your of like your teenage years hanging out with all those christian ska kids (laughs) yeah hanging out those oc supertone fans with those kids with the uh the checkered bands and uh <laughs> dress shirts and ties and corduroy shorts. everyone in bucket hats man <laughs> scott 
Oh, I kind of want to do a whole episode on ska, especially the bizarre Christian ska scene that was so strong. Yeah. It's so weird. I don't know. I, uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's good. That's going to be we did, actually, did, we did an episode on ska, didn't we? Not really. I don't think so. Because I, I know we did an episode where I talked about that there was no point of making ska when Goldfinger's Superman and uh, Mighty Body Boss Tones, the impression that I get exists. Like those two songs, you've done ska, done. There's no more need to make ska. Yeah. I can't I remember what episode it was where I made I that joke. I don't but. remember. Hey, listen, uh, mod stands, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure you're, you're hard at work on our wikis, so you probably know. <laughs> I want a wiki. I want a Masters of Divinity wiki. <laughs> um, so do we do we want to move on to? I'll, I'll kiss. kiss you. Okay. So I liked this one. I did too. I, they, I, I like it sort of like a spiritual sequel to Love Potion Number no. Nine, which was a yeah. song that my mom played a lot on like, the oldie station in my car. So like growing up, so when I heard this, I was like, "There's just this weird thing where again, it's 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 this revisiting of like 1950s stuff." Right, and I feel like the way she says "I'll kiss you," mm-hmm. it's like she's like yelling it. And I mm-hmm. kind of feel like this is sort of like where kind of where riot where the riot girl movement probably got some other influence, maybe, because it has that sort of when she's singing it, she kind of reminds me a little bit of like Kathleen Hanna, sort of raw sound when she's singing "I'll Kiss You." You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if Kathleen Hanna was a Cindy Lauper fan. Yeah. Oh, a lot of these a lot of these a lot of, a lot of these women artists are Cindy Lauper fans. They yeah. You know, she paved the way for a lot of them, right? And. Right. Arguably, she did so more authentically than Madonna ever did. So, I mean, I I think there's an argument there. Totally. I mean, I, I think that Cyndi Lauper was probably way more aware of what she was doing, like in the in sort of in the sake of feminism, than Madonna was. Well, there is a there is a lengthy there is a lengthy amount of evidence out there to show that Madonna basically stole everything that she ever did. Yeah, I've heard that from like Grace Jones and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas I don't think Cindy Lauper can be accused of that. Cindy Lauper just she she remind she reminds me of me when I was in the in the early two thousands going to the thrift stores and putting together you know weird outfits you know. Um, I I don't think that I don't know that you can really accuse her of stealing from anyone. And again, like her weirdness doesn't feel affected, right? It's not mm-hmm. like. Some of these musicians you see now, it's like, oh, I'm so weird. Like, look how weird I am. I'm doing this weird stuff. She's, she's <laughs> the just vocal like, fry and everything. Yeah, she's just <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm strange. Yeah, I feel like what we see here I'm just in her yeah. music videos and her appearances, I was like, that. I think that's who she is. Like that, mm-hmm. she, she's being herself. Yeah, which and that was kind With of her radically like, new, very thick, you know, new uh, 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 Long Island accent. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she's from Long Island, but it has, it has a very she's long. She's from New York. For like, yeah. Meanwhile, Madonna is like trying to cover it up. Mm-hmm. Now she speaks with a British accent, which is strange. <laughs> it's very weird. Though, can we just take a moment? 
like a prayer is just such a good song. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to throw shade on Madonna. Okay, I'm the last person to throw shade on our queen of the universe. Frozen, Frozen is also a good song. I, I, I have debated many times about covering uh, Ray of Light for Music Mayhem. Um, but I just don't think the entire album is very strong. I think yeah. the singles are stronger than the rest of the album. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, Sydney Lauper seems. I mean, to me, with my very limited research and my very limited experience, she seems like more genuine than than most performers were, were being. Yeah, and I, and I think it's it's one of the reasons why I, one thing I was a little disappointed in in the prep for this episode is that there's not a whole lot of stuff written about like what was going on behind the scenes in the development of this album. Yeah, right. Because again, if it's just this is the this is the thing I want to do and I'm going to do it, like that's that's awesome. But there's not really you know, it's not light, Daddy. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's not it's not it's not Fleetwood Mac like having cocaine and champagne parties and then like fighting with each other and then like waking up hungover the next day to record chain. Right. right like exactly. we record the chain. Like it's there's just not that kind of fun, you know, or it's not Paul Simon breaking an embargo to travel to South Africa in order to like help bring the voices and music of these people, yeah. you know, to the Western world, right? right. This is this is this is Cindy Lauper and her weirdness, right? Put on an album, and it's just delightful and fun. It is, and "I'll Kiss You" is is a good one. And the way she says it, it sounds like a threat. It does. <laughs> Kinda, I, don't, I don't think I want you to kiss me. <laughs> right. Well, and I think that's sort of the joke, right? That's sort of the thing. Right? Yeah. She's taking this potion, and it's gone from like I took it so I could kiss my boyfriend to like it's it, right, right. That's sort of again the sequel to "Love Potion" number nine right, is that yeah. it's overtaken you, and then it's a it's a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but I love that. And I, again, like it, 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 I love the song because I love the way that it, it, it does that eighties thing of we're revisiting something from the fifties. Um, but we're going to tweak it a little bit mm-hmm. and you know, it's not just, Oh, the fifties were great. It's like, well, there was this thing that my parents were into and now I'm bringing it up again. And uh, then that brings us to the b- most bizarre thing on this album. <laughs> He's so it. unusual. She, I guess she's doing like a Betty Boop thing, right? Yes. So it is a. This is an actual 1920s baby jazz song. Okay. Um, that I think was originally performed. That was also performed by Betty Boop or Helen Kane or whoever. That you know, because Betty Boop is a is is a, is a sort of a knockoff of Helen Kane's persona, um, um, of the flapper era. This is a this is one I actually I, I spent some time last night doing some research on Betty Boop because I remember my mom having Betty Boop crap when I was a kid and like enjoying Betty Boop and I was like what was there like some kind of weird resurgence of Betty Boop in the eighties that I and there was that's interesting because I I remember going to like an old person's house and they would sit me down and put in the Betty Boop VHS for me to watch 
Yeah. And then finding going to like toy rooms and finding Betty Boop stuff. And then she made that, and then they had her in. They put her in Who Framed Roger Rabbit was a, that was apparently like a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. apparently, what happened was, so she she you know she was very she was a very big character of the Fleischer cartoons um, during the the 30s, and then waned in popularity when color started coming into the into the cartoons. But I guess there was a bunch of merchandise for her that was made when, during her popularity. And she kind of had some like resurgence in the seventies as like a counter, like, I don't remember, like a counterculture icon or something. Very weird story that I read about it. But anyway, um, I guess when the eighties, so, you know, eighties is when nostalgia hit big. And so, um, and so people were again, diving thrift stores and buying, you know, old collectible stuff. My mom, that's how my mom got back into Barbie and, and all these things. So, you know, I think what happened is, is, you know, people were seeing all this Betty Boop crap show up everywhere and they were buying it sort of for kitsch purposes or whatever. And that just sort of brought the character back into people's awareness. What I want, what I haven't been able to figure out though, is that Betty Boop's resurgence in pop culture, from what I could read from like Wikipedia and <clears throat> the Betty Boop wiki <laughs> is that it seems to have happened in 1985. Huh, okay. So what I want to know is, did this song do it? Hmm. Did Cindy, is Cindy Lauper responsible for bringing Betty Boop back in the eighties? Maybe. And I have not seen anything that's, that's persuaded me one way or the other. Did she sing this song when she was on tour? Like when I she have, toured and when she, did, when she was live, did she sing this song? I would imagine she had to, because yeah. it sort of serves as the intro to "Yeah, Yeah." Because hmm. um, that that could be why. I mean, she. I mean, she's like spreading this Betty Boop <laughs> song all over the country, and people are like, "Hey, Betty Boop." I yeah, her. And, what, and and kind of like such a per, like such a fitting like it's such a fitting thing for Cindy Lauper to have used Betty Boop because in a way, it's you know Betty Boop was portrayed as sort of this carefree flapper, but then kind of trashy. Yeah. Well, um, and also the voice, like she's known for that high pitched voice she can do. And that's what yeah, Betty Boop is. And that's, jazz. Yeah. yeah and, it was actually a thing in the twenties. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a vaudeville act. Really? I don't know anything about this. Yeah. So you should look up, there's a woman named Helen Kane and she was the inspiration. Um, they were sort of ripping her off, but apparently Helen Kane ripped it off from some, black female jazz performer and so of there's this whole all this controversy about how it's actually originated in black vaudeville and, and all this I'm, stuff i'm shocked totally yeah shocked. <laughs> but um but yeah so betty boop was betty boop was a uh was a uh, overly sexualized yeah you know but thing and uh apparently a lot of her in cartoons involved trying to like her to like violently protect her virginity really yeah I don't. Um, it's it's funny. I remember watching them. I do not remember what any of them were about. No, I don't no either. Idea. I only remember her showing up in like a Popeye cartoon, yeah. uh, or like I said, Roger like, Rabbit. But like that, uh, that, yeah. But then like the Hayes Code got a hold of her, and it became like a whole big thing of like, and then to show that that's when it sort of like killed her popularity. Um, but you know, she's got this sort of trash. You know, there's this, this trashiness to her, and then she's sort of dismissed and sort of the butt of a joke for being a, like being kind of trashy. Yeah. And then Cindy Lauper seems to do this great thing where she grabs her and uses that as like a empowering thing, weirdly. Yeah. Or at least presenting it as like, you think I'm trashy because I dress this way and, you know, like I just want to have fun and I just want to do all this kind of stuff. But 
you know, I'm actually authentically me and you're kind of fake. I don't know. There's just something about the way she presents it that works for me. And even though the song is like, it, it's the, this is the equivalent back. Like you remember later on, like when we had the secret tracks on CDs. Yeah. 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 This would be one of those ones. It's the negative countdown. Right. You know, that's how it would play out in a later CD. So like, it's not really a song in the proper sense, but there's some, and so like, there's only not much to talk about that, but like just, it's sort of, but to me, it really captures the aesthetic of what Cindy Lauper's trying to do throughout this whole album, mm-hmm. which is this sort of rehabilitating of trash. Well, it's just kind of giving women agency and that, right. That, that, and I guess too, I guess because in the history, right, we've, we've tended to treat any kind of woman that has any kind of sense of independence as a trashy woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Let me think about the Mona Lisa smile and Maggie Gyllenhaal's character. I actually have seen that movie, to be honest. Oh, okay. Well, she's, she's a, she's a very, you know, she's, she's, she's a sexual character mm-hmm. and they regularly treat her as like, she's trash. Right. But you can kind of watch it and realize, well, of all the characters, she's the one that actually understands herself more than anyone um, else in there and is the one who's actually honest about what she is and who she is. Um, and so there's that agency and empowerment piece that comes out of that. And so it's, and it's, it's an interesting thing that like Cindy Lauper seems to be kind of doing that same bit, right? It, it's a through line that we see with girls just want to have fun, right? Both of her parents saying like, you got to get your life right. Yeah. You got to get your life right. And she's like, eh, you know, but you know, sure. But right now I just want to have fun and right. there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with me enjoying myself and who I am. Right. There's no law against it yet. You know, it's also like, what is your definition of getting my life? Right. It's like shacking up with someone. Right. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that, that's an interesting angle. Right. Cause money changes. Everything plays up this idea of just running off and getting married because that's what the societal pressure is. But yeah. you know, but now I'm supposed to be poor and destitute the rest of my life. Right. Right. Uh, exactly. it's, 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 so there's a, there's a, so there's some depth here, even there though is. it's a, dismissible song well it's funny that the uh the, the article you sent me they treated the song as like oh no this is like going the opposite way of feminism like <laughs> this is a a stumbling block where i guess they were trying to comment like to today today's feminism would not uh would not appreciate the he's so unusual i don't know yeah but, Whatever, feminism, but feminism is also not a monolithic thing no that's no, not right so who knows dude I don't know. <laughs> it's it. You know what? It's a weird track, and I like it. Yes. Um. Okay. So the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I didn't love it. Uh, you know, it had. You know, it's funny. I, I don't, I'm so bad with timelines, especially in the '80s, because I don't know very much about like when all these bands started. But like, this is the one that actually reminded me of the of the B52s. Yes, it definitely has a B52s energy, and it's because she's doing that Betty Boop mm-hmm. voice throughout while she's singing. I mean, mm-hmm. she's not doing it. She's not doing the voice while she's singing it, but like, it like interjects over it. And it just kind of reminds me of, like, hearing the crowds of B-52's, B-52's, like, Love Shack. 
you know. Well, yeah, or like uh, I mean, you think about Rock Lobster, where they have the 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 the, uh, the two women in the band. I can't remember their name, but they're doing all the like weirdo animal sounds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she does that sound the sound at the beginning. That, yeah. like that's why I was like, oh, this is very B fifty twos. Well, and, and and I think you're right. It, it definitely has the energy because it has it, it. It feels much more of like a pastiche. Yeah. Of things in some of her other songs, like, um, you know, because like I think of like my favorite my favorite B fifty two songs is Planet Claire, and I love how it opens up with the dragnet bass line played underneath a theremin. <laughs> and like and like a and like you know very space agey sounding like keyboards and stuff um which is you know such a pastiche of these different you know right. you get the sense that these people have watched a lot of reruns yeah, yeah. but yeah then we've got um Cindy Lauper doing you know this pulling in this like random you know 20s jazz Betty Boop stuff while also playing it over squealing synths and you know um, it's just, I think it's, I think it's, a, I think it's a fun closer for the album. I mean, there's not a whole lot of substance to it, but I think it's, I think it's a fun song to listen to loud. It reminds me of like, uh, like a song you would play over like the end credits of a movie hmm. where the songs, they had like a song for the movie that had like quotes throughout the song from the film. Oh, right, right, right. So like, it just kind of, I don't know. It had that, I don't know, it had that kind of vibe for me listening to it. and maybe that's why i didn't like it just kind of reminded me because i hate those songs i hate it when the credits <laughs> do that the only one that's ever done it successfully and they and the real reason it worked because they were spoofing it was in tropic thunder oh yeah um and it's, it's so funny um but yeah that's what kind of what it reminded me of i mean it's, it's 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 an okay song um but i just don't i don't know there's just there's just like it's just all over the place you know i can't i can't vibe with it do we want to talk about goonies are good enough <laughs> I did mention it and I think it's a fun song and I I don't know where else to really talk about it because I just I love I think it I think it's probably more deserving to be on this album than some of the other songs because I mean she wrote around the same time Mm -hmm. right a couple years after apparently she like hates the song interesting that's what I read because because it's got such a good chorus man yeah I do but it it is kind of interrupted with um, or maybe I don't know I guess it's not in the song or in the music video where they like say like the Goonies. Yeah, yeah, that's that's only in the video, and then they have okay. <laughs> Steven Spielberg's masterful acting show up. <laughs> yeah, oof. Um, pre beard Steven Spielberg. Yeah, it's so strange. That's 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 a weird weird image. Um, um I don't know. I th- I think it is a fun song. Like when I, it is, it's so strange. Like I I've, I I I watched the Goonies religiously when I was a kid. And so, like, I'm, you know, deeply familiar with, like, the, I guess, the the bridge, mm-hmm. the song that plays over, like, whenever the kids are on their bicycles. And that always kind of struck me as, like, haunting. Hearing it in the context of the song, it's so much more lighthearted. Yeah, well, and I think the, I, I really like the, I really like the almost, like, like, like Chinese sounding, 
like keyboard yeah. opening to it. There's just something that I really like about that. It almost makes it like Big Trouble in Little China or something. Um, oh, yeah. But um, I, I I love the. Yeah, I just I actually really love that song. I, I don't know why it's called Goonie, Goonies are good enough. It doesn't even talk about the Goonies at all in the song. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, you know, it's just good enough. Like that's the song. It's good enough. And I and I I just I just think it's a really fun fun song and um, a good chorus. And I just you know I think it it's of a piece with this album because you know her later stuff after this takes on a bit of a different tone like true colors is a very different sounding song that does not belong on this album um you know it, it, it's a much more mature sounding right song to me i haven't heard um it, so i don't know you never listen to true colors yeah I oh man you should do that i don't think i've listened to anything cindy lover's made outside of this album except for goodies are good enough Phil Collins has a pretty good cover of True Colors as well. Oh, really? But, uh, yeah. Cool. Um, the Goonies Are Good Enough music video, by the way, directed by Richard Donner, who directed oh, interesting. Uh, The Goonies. Um, and much like The Goonies, there's just basically just like a lot of, a lot of yelling at yep. each other. <laughs> yelling over <laughs> each other. <laughs> I had an ex-girlfriend who hated that movie because of all the yelling. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I get it. There's a lot of yelling in that movie. Hey, have you seen um, have you seen uh, Finding Ohana on Netflix? No. You should watch that. Oh, I think my parents were watching that actually. It's filmed like filmed down the street from my house. Oh, that's cool. If you want to see a lot of a lot of stuff that I see on a regular basis? Check that movie out because it, it was filmed very close where I live. Huh. Nice. Um, yeah, that's good. It's a it's a, it's a it's a it is a sort of remake of the Goonies. It's a spiritual. It is spiritual. Really has a spiritual connection to the Goonies. In fact, uh, they got data out of retirement to show up in the movie. Really? As, uh, he doesn't play himself, but he's, uh, he's not playing data. He's playing okay. someone else, but it's, uh, it's kind of fun that they, they have some really good Goonies connections in it. Okay. Well, Chuck, what is the best song on this album? By the way, this is a new question. I'm introducing a new segment into music mayhem. And that is, I ask the person who chose the album, what the best song is on the album. The best song on the album is and I think you're gonna agree with me wholeheartedly is when you were mine. Absolutely, <laughs> I've been playing that song nonstop since I heard it, uh, almost yeah. like to the to a detriment. I'm like, oh, I need to start listening to other songs on here because <laughs> <laughs> when you were mine. Uh, I agree. Why? Why do you think it's the best one? Um, it's 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 a song that even though she didn't write it, her arrangement and and ownership of it is all over the place. Um, it, it, it to me has her firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a really, really good, uh, really good um, um, instance of her vocal power. Yeah. Um, Cause the thing is, you don't think, I mean, I, you know, for me, like when I think of Cindy Lauper, I don't think of like vocal powerhouse, mm-hmm. but the, the woman is a vocal powerhouse. I mean, she's got yeah. some amazing range and especially considering she recorded this album after having surgery on nodes on her throat. Oh, um, cause, uh, she, that's probably what happened with, um, blue angel. Um, their, their record did not do well. And then she found out that she had like reverse nodes on her vocal cords. And so she couldn't sing and actually had to have surgery to, to correct it. So she actually ran the risk of losing her ability to sing through the surgery. Oh. Um, but um, um, I think and I think also the fact that she made the decision to keep the gender of the song intact says a lot. That's a, that's an artistic statement, mm-hmm. um, whether or not she didn't write it. It's still 
there's that again there's ownership on it right so that's that there's some artistry in that decision and that that works really well for the song um and even the subject matter and the way it all works it just fits right it fits with that whole with the, with the title of the album she's so unusual you think about that in terms of 1983 to have someone uh, a white woman covering a Prince song where she's talking where the, the lyrics could very easily be interpreted as her boyfriend is treating on her with another guy and she's kind of sort of okay with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, that just sort of fits with who Cindy Lauper wound up being as a, as a figure in pop culture and um, in, you know, being a, being a, a, a someone who helped, who really did a lot to champion um, LGBTQ issues and causes Um and, and recognizing the importance of that and being an icon for that um, pretty early on. Um, and I think that just it, it's under it's underscored in in the decision she made with this one song. And um, on top of that, it's 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 not it's not like of the three big hits off the album. So you it, it avoids that cliche thing because we've we've all heard girls just want to have fun. We've all heard yeah. time after time. We've all you know, many of us have heard she bop. Um, so we know those songs really, really well. This is one that I think it stands out and it just really elevates what's going on. And it is without a doubt the best song on the album. Good, good choice. Cause I agree. <laughs> I love it. Um, I, I mean, I, this is the first time I've ever heard it listening to this album. And, um, I didn't think I would be like so into a Cindy Lauper song, but I think mm-hmm. I would put it in a rotation with something of like Stevie Nicks's dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, because coming coming here from that album, that that was my my favorite song from that album was was Dreams, but like oh, yeah, yeah. So like I, I I put that up there, and that kind of if I were to make a playlist of like my favorite Music Mayhem songs, which that would be kind of a fun thing to do. Yeah, I think it'd be cool if we did a Music Mayhem playlist. Yeah, or like a Master Divinity playlist, or just something to that effect. Yeah. Oh, it'd be actually really fun to come up with themes. That could be something extra we could just do. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So then now what are some of your, your general thoughts on, on the album? I mean, I've, I pretty much said what I need to say. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think it was just, it's a landmark. I don't think it gets, I will say this though. It's a landmark that I don't know gets celebrated as much as it ought to. I don't for think being so either. Yeah. You know, we talk about, you know, we talk about the, the impact that, um, like the white album mm-hmm. had on, on, on music we talk about the or like sergeant pepper let's just talk about sergeant pepper right just i mean what it, what an impact it had is it changed the sound it was the mid-60s right moved from you know moved from a more like doo-wop type sound into experimental weirdness right and that and sergeant pepper was really one of the things that helped predicated that change and reflected that change that was taking place right so we see an album like that as a sea change in establishing an aesthetic and a and a and a feel um I think she's un- I think she's so unusual is equivalent to that for the 80s. Um, oh, yeah. I don't think we would have the 80s as we understand it without this album. And we just don't hear it. I don't know that anyone says any other album is the definitive 80s album like that. But this is this is definitely up there and ought to be up there um, because it it took a lot of things that were happening in less mainstream places and presented it in a pop sense, but not in a pop sense where it tended to like water it down and make it overly accessible because there's still complexity. There's still controversy. There's still all of these things going on that I think allows it to be, you know, punk rock authentic, mm-hmm. but listenable, you know, but, 
but Buffy and her friends can listen to it on the weekends as they're <laughs> as they're as they're going to the Valley Mall, you yeah. know. So, um, so that's what I that's 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 my that's my my my, my general thought cool. about it. It's just it, I think it's it was really it's a, it's a landmark and it should be known as one. Yeah, and I think it probably did a lot for just for like female vocalists in general. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when she hits those really high notes. The only other artist I think of who who does that, who came after it, was like Mariah Carey. Right. And um, I don't know. I, th- I think it. Uh, I think it deserves a bit more um, celebration. I feel like Madonna kind of steals that spotlight. She does, and I and and um, unfairly so, I think. Okay. Um, my theory is because Madonna was more conventionally attractive than Cyndi Lauper, and that's why. Probably. Yeah. Um, but um, and I think Material Girl, the fact that Madonna basically falls out of a dress in that music video, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, the other thing I think she she really did, and I think this album helped accomplish, is that she allowed regular people to realize it's okay to be weird. Mm-hmm. I, I just I, I can't think of any other artist that really a female artist that was like that before her that was just weird, right? Yeah. I mean, because you know, we all know weird. We've all known weird girls, you know, mm-hmm. the weird girl, right? There's always the weird girl, like in youth group, and you know, there's the you know, you think of like uh, the Breakfast Club. There's the weird girl with um, Ali Sheedy's character, but she's, you know, but she's a little more. She's, you know, I saw a great meme actually before we started that that showed uh, a picture of Ali Sheedy from Breakfast Club next to Molly Ringwald, and um, one said uh, Ali Sheedy said Joy Division, mm-hmm. and under Molly Ringwald it said New Order, which I thought was really funny. Yeah, that's a great um, meme, by the way. Um, that is wonderful meme. I've seen that one. Yeah, but I think that you know the idea that you know here's a the, the quirky weird weird girl, and that you don't have to like think anything like she's just a person. Yeah, especially you in know? the eighties. Cindy helped. Yeah, right. especially in the eighties when you know I actually just watched this video about like uh, beauty standards in the eighties, and like that sort of the beauty standard of the eighties was like the like supermodel like mm-hmm. long legs very statuesque shoulders like super fit um right. basically like super like wonder woman <laughs> you know uh but that's definitely not cindy lopper at all right but but madonna was actually kind of held to that standard and she kind of chased that standard a little bit mm-hmm. meanwhile cindy lopper like you know she wasn't that at all right so i mean i think you have i think you're onto something there um why she was kind of able to steal the spotlight a little bit um, but yeah, yeah. So I, I think the only one I can think of that came close, like maybe Pat Benatar. I don't know. A little mm. bit. Eh, I don't know. She's a little too rock star. <laughs> like she's way too like, yeah. she, like her and Joan Jett. Like, no, no, I don't think yeah. it went like super like quirky and weird. I think she kind of started it. Um, okay. So that's, that's, she's so unusual. Uh, Cindy Lauper, another, another episode, uh, in the bag. Music Mayhem 2021, first one. Yeah, yeah. So now it comes oh, the now, time. Now I'm I'm nervous. Uh, I don't think you should be. I was nervous because I actually didn't really decide until like <laughs> we started recording. Uh, because oh. it took me, I didn't. I, it just took me a long time to figure out who I was gonna was gonna do. I just didn't know. I just like I was just like out of albums, you know. And I kept and I don't know. I, I don't like looking for an album for Music Mayhem for some reason. You know, yeah, I don't. Oh, I'm with you. You like you like, don't, you like to like be listening to something and be like, "This is it." Yeah, that or like something that like I already have like a connection with, or something I know has like a great story behind it. I'm mm. not going to be like, "Let's go look at the Rolling Stone top 50 and find an album from there for music." I'm not going to do that. That's just 
I don't know. There's something about it I just don't like doing. That's why all the song, all the albums I've been chosen are like albums from like my childhood and stuff. Uh, but I will say this is the first one that's not. No, that's not true. The Oasis one was not from my childhood. Uh, but this one is not from my childhood. But it did, I think, have has I think might have a good story attached to it. Um, and it was actually on my selection for uh, uh, the Wheel of Mayhem. I think last year. Okay. Or was it the year before last? I don't remember. Uh, anyway, the album that we will be listening to for next week is Black Sabbath. Yes. Heaven and Hell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting reaction. Because this is not uh this is not uh this is not Ozzy Osbourne Black Sabbath, right? It's not. It's the first one with Dio. Does this one have Lost Children of the Sea on it? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it does. Uh, oh think... my gosh, I love that song. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I thought it'd be interesting because you know it's the first Black Sabbath uh, without Ozzy. Um, and I figured there'd be a pretty good. Dio's side. got some great vocals. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I don't actually know much about this album. I mean, I, I know that I wanted to. Like, my whole thing was to kind of find an album with like a good story behind it, and the idea of like a legendary band like Black Sabbath continuing on without someone like Ozzy Osbourne and replacing him, and then that person kind of going on to be like very much revered by fans. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That doesn't normally happen. I, we all know that it did not happen to Van Halen, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, so I thought it'd be cool. And like I, I don't know that much about Dio. I know that he invented the ring of the horns. Uh, uh, I know that uh, uh, Gene Simmons tries to take Gene Simmons tries to, tries to take uh, ownership of that, but we all know Gene Simmons tries to take ownership for a lot of crap. Gene Simmons. <laughs> you know that was um, Dio. Um, dude, I actually now 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 more we're talking about. I'm excited. And yeah. I realize it's our first metal. Yes, our, our first, first metal 80s entry in metal. Music Mayhem. Yeah. So um, um, I'm excited. I think it's going to be good. This is the first one I've chosen that's not from the 90s. <laughs> nice. You know, I will say, I, I, I always, uh, past couple of years, I have flirted with picking um, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Oh, I know. You have. Is, is that the one that's like 90 again. songs? Like, <laughs> It's so long. It is a, it, it, what is it? It's like a, it's a, like two hours long yeah oh gosh that would be a very long episode yeah no there's just no way there's just no way we could do it right so i don't know maybe so maybe maybe we could do like an entire series where like each week we all talk about each one of us talks about if now we're here what we do is we break if you do the if you use the lp the because i would want to do an lp release which is a different song order which is okay. a superior uh <laughs> Song order, but um, you could do it like each each side or something like each LP because yeah. <laughs> it was a three LP release. God, like amusing mayhem, totally dedicated to that album. Yeah, <laughs> no, it'll never happen, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I'm excited now. Some metal Ford, my Ford, my son Ford will be really excited because he he likes metal and he likes Black Sabbath. Sweet, yeah. I listened to a couple songs last night. It's it, it's super cool. It was fun. Liked it. So go out and listen to Heaven and Hell by Black Sabbath and uh, familiarize yourself with, uh, with Dio. Yes. So cool. All right. Uh, Chuck, thank you so much for uh, uh, everything and for bringing Cindy Lauper uh, to Music Mayhem. Man, what's some, that's some whiplash here, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Cindy Lauper to Sabbath. I almost, I almost chose 
I almost went with Alanis Morissette's uh, Jacket Little Pill. Mm. But, you know, I listened to it and I was like, I don't know. I think we've probably all heard these songs so many times that it's like, I don't know. It's a it's, slog. It's yeah. a slog to listen to. I bought it. I bought it at a thrift store a few years ago and it is. Yeah. I find it, I find it tough to listen to. And it doesn't. I don't think it plays well as an album, to be honest. I think it's just no. plays well the singles. It's a collection and, of singles. Yeah. Yeah. Even though the singles are really good. But at the same mm-hmm. time, like I just feel like I've, I've I've heard these songs so many friggin' times. Even today, like they're still played everywhere. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there's nothing to really be done with that. <laughs> but this one would like, be good. Yeah, it's like okay. I mean, what are we gonna talk about, Dave Coulier? Like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, dude. Uh, all right. So thank you for listening. Join us again next week. Heaven and Hell, Black Sabbath. Good journey. Good journey.